Welcome to another episode of Complete Developer Podcast, the podcast by coders for coders about all aspects of creating your best life as a developer. I'm Will, the accomplished developer, author, and software architect. And I'm Beach, the journeyman developer sharing my journey in development. Complete Developer Podcast is supported by listeners like you. We are now on Patreon at www.patreon.com slash Complete Developer Podcast. If carpenters built buildings the way programmers write programs, then civilization would be destroyed by the first woodpecker to come along. Gerald Weinberg in The Psychology of Computer Programming. Most likely. There is some debate as to where that quote comes from. It's a huge rabbit hole of debate. (laughs) Yeah. If anything, the last two years has taught us that we all have to be prepared for sudden disruptions to our lives. You've probably also heard that being resilient is the key to doing so. But what does that actually mean? In this episode, we're going to discuss resiliency in general. While resiliency is broadly applicable across many areas of life, business, and technology, the general principles of resiliency are very similar. But before we get started, Will, what's making you resilient this week? Uh, Not a whole heck of a lot. (laughs) Yeah, I've just been I've been playing around a bunch with WPF and I forgot how much I love the model, the like the programming model on that. I'm not a, as much of a fan of XAML, but as far as like the way the data binding flows and all that stuff works, it reminds me of what I liked about Knockout without it being in JavaScript. I think they may have actually lifted some of those concepts one way or the other, either into WPF from Knockout or the other way around. But yeah, it, it's it's been interesting. I'm just trying to uh, kind of get a a more recent desktop development paradigm in my tool belt, um, and I don't want to do Electron because those are those apps seem like they're just always really slow. So yeah, that's what I've been up to. So how about you? I've not actually done WPF before, so so I uh, I got the schedule for worship team practice, and I am on it in January. So, which actually, this is January when you guys are listening, and I will have already been up on the stage by that point. But yeah, I've been, they've been mostly practicing for the Christmas, rehearsing different aspects of the Christmas uh, service, which is next Sunday. And so we finally got our, the schedule for January, and I am going to be up there for one song practicing with the team. I'm really, really excited. Also, you know, a little bit nervous because there's some bar chords in there and, you know, those are, are not the easiest things to, to do. And it's not even an easy bar chord. It's a C-sharp minor. So, yeah, there's also an F minor, but that was not as difficult. But, uh, yeah, so we'll see how this goes. We're, we're having lab week at work right now. So I am uh, reading my book, How to Lead When You're Not in Charge. Not my book, but the book that, you know, that book. It's great because as a lead developer, I don't actually have any authority, but I am leading the team kind of through mentoring and by example. Uh, It's really good. I've gotten over halfway through the book at this point and got at least one or two episode ideas from it. So it's going to be good. And uh, made a trip up to Nashville this past weekend. Got to have dinner with Will. That was cool. First time we got to hang out in quite some time, really. Yeah, since what I think was it during the summer when you came over to my parents' house, or was that in the spring? Yeah. Uh, that wow. was the 
Uh, I think it was before my mission trip. So yeah, it was the spring. Yeah. So yeah, it, it has been uh, a hot minute since we've gotten to actually hang out. Like the thing is, when I came down to your parents' house, we worked on podcast stuff the whole time. So it wasn't like a hangout. Yeah, for like, like five this, hours. Yeah. This was like actual hangout, hangout. Just like went out to dinner and like we did talk some podcast stuff because you can't get us together without us talking podcast stuff. But uh, yeah, it was uh, it was good. There's always something in the queue. Mm-hmm. Saving money is hard, especially when you're not a resilient person. Lucas Casadas is a fee-only certified financial planner. He owns and runs Level Up Financial Planning virtually out of Fort Collins, Colorado. And just like us here at Complete Developer Podcast, he focuses on helping you to not only establish a real plan, but to take action on that plan so that you can create your best life. Guys, investing in financial planning services really comes down to whether or not you can improve your finances. With the help of Level Up, the compounding impact of making better financial decisions will easily pay for itself. Level Up also has a unique pricing model that will help you no matter where you are in your financial journey. And best of all, Lucas is a fiduciary for his clients. And what that means is he's not here to sell you a product, but to help guide you to a better financial situation. And you can catch his podcast, Techie Personal Finance Bootcamp, where he covers financial topics that you probably face. And he also interviews other uh, technology professionals who share how they navigated their own careers. He even has more information at levelupfinancialplanning.com. Whether it is political turmoil, personal life issues, outbreaks of disease, economic changes, technological changes, financial problems, health problems, or just a sudden job loss, we're all going to go through difficult times at some point in our lives. And if you've observed other people or even yourself for a while, you've probably also noticed that there are a lot of differences in how people react to similar situations and the outcomes for those situations. The same is also true of systems. In most cases, the system or person that quickly recovers from a bad situation does so because they limit the damage the situation causes, are able to quickly return to normal operation, and because they have mitigated the long-term negative impacts of the situation. In general, this also means that they anticipated the situation to some degree, learned from the situation when it occurred, and did not succumb to panic when the situation occurred. Also, they did not make three sentences with three different sentences within them. Uh, you, if you were resilient, you would have survived that. Oh, I survived. <sighs> yeah, well, I did. about the after effects. <laughs> <laughs> I wrote that one. I wrote that paragraph for me to read, not for you. <laughs> I know, I know. But you never know who's going to end up reading it. So this is true. So resilience is tricky, especially when it comes to emotionally charged situations or situations where there is a high degree of risk. Arguably, you could say that an emotionally charged situation is a situation where there is a perception of a high degree of risk. That's why you're emotional. Additionally, resilience is also kind of tough to implement well because the practices that improve resilience tend to decrease efficiency. 
This can be especially pernicious at the end of a long period of stability when efficiency has been prioritized over resilience. Eventually, something happens and things break. It can be hard to argue that resilience needs to be improved until a bad situation occurs. In this episode, we're going to discuss resilience from the perspective of the five components of resilience as described by the World Economic Forum Global Risks Report of 2013. While this is not the only way to think about resilience, it's certainly a useful starting point that scales up to the global economy and scales down to the individual person or system. One of the main drivers of civilization itself is a desire for resilience. So we're often discussing how to make systems more resilient. We find ourselves kind of talking about other stuff. Uh, The underlying thing is the resilience. You know, you could, for instance, argue that most mass political movements, good or bad, in the last century or two were at their root really just attempts to either improve stability for large groups of people or responses to that stability being disrupted. In short, resilience is a really big deal at every scale and is something you should be considering at every scale as well. And then in the aftercast, we're going to discuss various categories of resilience, both when applied to systems and to teams. So let's start out a little bit with talking about what resilience isn't, because when I have brought this up, I've been, I've, I've had people basically go, okay, well, this is what resilience means to me. And a lot of times those answers are not the whole picture or they're just completely wrong. So going through some of the things that resilience is not is probably a good idea for a starter. And then we'll go through the, the uh, components of resilience uh, here in a minute. So. Resilience is not simply toughness, although toughness can be part of it. Uh, Simply being able to absorb damage does not make you resilient uh, because there comes a point where the damage overwhelms you. Toughness is part of robustness, which we will talk about shortly, but it's not the whole thing. Yeah, so resilience is more than just being tough. Right. Uh, That makes a lot of sense because, I mean, it's it's part of it. You you do have to be, be tough to be resilient, but... It's not the only thing. Right. You can't be overwhelmed by the first thing that goes wrong. You got to be tough enough to survive that, but you you don't want to be dumb enough to stand there and just take the beating either. Uh, You know, whatever the situation is, right? Like if you're a, you know, if you're a buggy whip manufacturer in 1910, you probably shouldn't be one in 1935. So another thing, resilience is not insurance. Having some backup plan that makes you whole after a disaster is very helpful, but it doesn't reduce the damage done by the disaster. And so while some type of insurance or backup plan is good and part of resilience, it is not all that resilience is, which some people do think that. Yeah, or they think that you know insurance completely covers you. Um, you know, whatever your backup plan completely covers you. Mostly it's just, hey, it lets you keep going, but you took a lot of damage. You just are able to survive that damage now. And that's what most insurance of any kind does. Obviously, you know, wrongful death insurance, you don't survive, but your family does, um, hopefully. Another thing that resilience isn't is analysis paralysis. There is no point in building the perfect resilient system if you never launch it. There will always be some level of risk, but never doing anything is also an extremely risky position. Right, like, you know, ships are perfectly safe in the harbor, provided there's no storm. But that's not what ships are built for. Yeah, 
Yeah, that makes sense. And then finally, passing the buck is not a resilient practice. Systems and people that outsource negative externalities to others are still at risk because they eventually are recognized as a risk to those other people or systems. This means that they get cut off, making the next failure catastrophic. And a great example of this is the Romans. They outsourced a lot of their fighting to the Germanic tribes, right? And they also mistreated them. Over time, eventually you end up with Rome getting sacked as a result of that because the Germanic people were like, why are we putting up with these guys? They're making our lives horrible and putting us at risk and we're not getting anything out of it. And yeah. here you go. It's it's basically when you when you socialize the bad results and you hang on to the good results, the people that are taking the bad results stop taking them eventually. All right. So the five R's of resilience. Let's get on into them. The first one is robustness. And robustness is the ability to absorb and withstand shocks to a system. In other words, a system or a person can be considered robust if a break in a dependency is absorbed rather than being pushed out into the rest of the system. Right. So, you know, if your production database has a little blip and the whole system goes down, your system is not robust. Now, if it's gone, you know, for hours, that's a whole nother thing, right? So, but you have a situation like, you know, the AWS outages that happened last week. And there were companies that got smacked around by it quite a bit, but came back up. And then there were some that did not have their stuff designed well, and they just kind of fell over. And they're probably still recovering. Like, you don't want to be them. <laughs> a good personal example of this is if you miss a day at the gym, and that completely throws you off for a week or two, you do not have, you are not robust. But if you miss a day at the gym and then pick it right back up the next day, right? And it doesn't throw you off, you don't actually lose in, like, you don't gain as much, but you don't lose anything through that process. I, I say that because uh, I didn't get to go to the gym today. So I'm a little. Yeah, I would almost argue in, in some cases that. It, surviving that miss uh, a lot of times does make you stronger over time too, right? Like part of robustness is, isn't just taking the hits, but it's that they happen mm -hmm. and, and you recover from them and you learn how to recover from the small things. So when you get a bunch of small things, you can still survive it. Is it uh, Netflix that does that? They yeah, randomly take stuff. Yeah. Yeah. We'll be yeah. talking about that uh, some later this year because it's a really good practice. Now, robustness incorporates a few attributes. The first is that the situation is actually monitored so that a crisis is noted when it occurs. You know, this way other portions of the system can respond. The portion that's got the problem can react to it as well. In personal terms, it means being honest with yourself about your own mental state, right? Because like, you know, not to go into certain situations when you're feeling bad or, you know, something major is going on that's not correct. Mm-hmm. Either either that or also being aware of your own abilities and like being, I don't say aware, but, you know, like cognizant and like, all right, recognizing, hey, I had a conversation 
not long ago about uh, about this from a leadership perspective because I've been doing a lot of leadership study. But sometimes you're going to lead people who are better than you, yeah, or who can do things you can't. Yeah, and you know you you need to be able to take that hit to your ego. So, robustness also includes modularity. You know, a break in one part of a system should not propagate throughout the entire system, even at the risk of more severe damage to a particular component. In personal terms, it means having appropriate boundaries between areas of your life so that one area doesn't destroy everything. Yeah, and everybody's been at the point where that's happened too, right? Yeah. A relationship is a great example of that, or job loss, where everything goes down the toilet because one sector messed up. And... You know, and I would also say that you and I both know several people, and we're not going to name names, who say they're robust and they say that they hustle or they they work really hard. And when you watch them, what they really do is they overcommit. And then when they start failing because they they can't do what they thought they could do, they start trying to reshuffle things that involve other people so that some of the weight falls off of them. And that's not very robust. Like I know a couple of of folks that are, you know, basically like life coach type people that are like in their twenties, which is a whole nother uh, conversation to have anyway. But, you know, that is their uh, modus operandi, right? Like they, they overdo all these things. And then when stuff starts falling apart, they lean on all the people around them. I mean, to some degree, you gotta, you, you gotta be able to do that. But like, if it's a, it's like you walk with crutches when you need crutches, but when you when you walk with crutches because your feet get tired, you might have a different kind of problem. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Next is redundancy. Redundancy requires excess capacity and backup systems for critical operations. In other words, a system or person is considered to have redundancy if there are backup systems in place for critical operations. To some degree, this could be as simple as insurance. Or having a savings account, right? Like that's why we uh, we talk about having a uh, emergency fund. And we also talk about having, you know, well, what did we call it? The finger fund that lets you raise the middle finger when you're being mistreated enough. That That's a very real thing, right? Because it, it means that you are now resilient to financial problems. And a you know there are a few attributes here that are really important. Uh, the first is that for critical subsystems, there should be some sort of backup that can quickly be brought online. Uh, this is why when we talk about having a emergency fund, we talk about having it in cash or assets that are liquid, not, oh, I have a second house that I can sell if things get bad. Because that takes a minute. Well, it doesn't in the current market, but it will a lot of times, you know, be it be a major issue. In personal terms, this would mean you know having backup plans for things that are really important and being able to switch quickly. So, uh, for example, when I was contracting from the house, I ran into a situation because I use Comcast where I realized that my internet provider was not super reliable. They've gotten way better here lately, but you know when you're contracting and you call on a Monday morning because your internet doesn't work and they're like, "Yeah, we could be out next Friday to fix it." It's like, I can't miss two weeks of work. Um, now, I got a business line that helped, made it where they would 
they would respond quicker. But the other thing I did is I started going to places nearby and making sure that I had access to the Wi-Fi. So that at the worst, if Comcast just totally screws up, I can kind of bounce around between shops for a little while and maybe make it a day or two, you know, just to get wiggle room. And that's kind of what we're talking about here is like, don't put yourself in a position where you have to completely rely on one resource that might go away. I mean, it's an absolute pain to uh, to have to carry your, your stuff out somewhere because I've done this. And you know how much I love working from coffee shops. Yeah. Uh, and so that has been a real joy this week with reading the book because I can just go sit in a coffee shop and read. And, uh, and I was at uh, this weekend before we, we hung out, I was at Cafe Coco. I was sitting in the back reading and some people walked in and like, they're all trying to be respectful and quiet and just have this like quiet conversation. I was like, guys, you're not going to bother me. Be as loud as you want. I come to coffee shops because it's loud. It, it actually helps me focus. <laughs> yeah. Like they were being super like really respectful and trying to be like polite because I was there reading before they came into the back room. And I'm like, y'all don't even worry about it. You know, laugh, have fun, you know, be with your friends and family. Don't, don't try to be quiet on my account. We need to get you like a tabletop sign. Or yeah, like that, where that you can just put it on the table, yeah. like yo, dog, be as loud as you need to be. It's not gonna, it's not gonna, you know, like bother me. Yeah, you'll help me. That's true. Yeah. Whereas for me, uh, yeah, yeah. It drives me up the wall. Yeah. I can't do that. So, uh, yeah, that's that's why you have a uh, redundant noise cancellation headphones, yeah. like earbuds and headphones. Yeah. Uh, now redundancy also implies diversity in mechanisms for a particular function. So Will has like over-ear and in-ear headphones for his redundant noise cancellation. And gas in the car. Yeah. For For things that are absolutely critical, you may not want to have just a single type of backup system. Uh, An example of this in personal terms is that you need to have more than one marketable skill. Like... For example, when I first started working, I marketed myself as, you know, uh, Angular and .NET developer. And my my first job after my apprenticeship with Will was literally bouncing between the front end and the back end teams wherever they needed me. I ended up settling in one area, but because I kept those skills at least a little bit up to date when I moved into this leadership position in another department, they put me in charge of a front end team. And having those those skills still marketable made that possible. Well, back in 2004, I think it was, after I, I, I lost my job, you know, I got downsized, got another job that really, really sucked and did not stay there for more than two weeks. And I was out of work for several months. There was a period in there where I did light carpentry and uh, sheetrock. Because mm-hmm. I, I knew a guy who was... You know, needed a bunch of work done on the inside of his house. And yeah, I was over there fixing stuff. And I, I tell you what, man, it's a relief to be able to do that. Well, I mean, you get awful tired of ramen. You, you've seen the career changes I've made. In my yeah. Life. <laughs> Same. <laughs> you know, from addictions counseling, well, from teaching to addictions counseling to what else have I done? Sales. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, being able to pick up a new skill or to have multiple skills is definitely even outside of your 
your area is definitely useful. Like I, because of this, I'm not worried if like, if I were to lose my job tomorrow, which isn't going to happen, but if that happened, I wouldn't worry about it. If suddenly I was not able to, to program, I'm like, all right, I'll find something else because, but that's leading into the next R, which is resourcefulness. And this is the ability to adapt to a crisis, respond in a flexible manner, and if possible, transform a negative into a positive. And I've seen both of us do that. We've talked about it on here as it's happening. Yeah. I, one person that really amazes me with his ability to do this is John Sonmez. I've seen him go through stuff where you're like, man, that, you know, how are you going to get out of this? He's like, oh, it's great because. And by the time he says because, he's already starting to get a plan. And I've seen him do that time and time again. Like that's like a superpower for him is to be able to switch tack and just go, well, I'll just do it this way then. And that is extremely useful. So a primary attribute of resourcefulness is the ability to self-organize. Uh, in other words, you don't wait for somebody else's approval, you know, whether it's a team or, or whatever. In fact, on a team, this means that your team can make decisions for itself in the absence of management. So if the boss is on vacation and the system goes down, the system does not stay down the entire time he's gone and you don't call him on the beach in Thailand. In personal life, this means being willing to make decisions in your own best interest without relying on group consensus to do so. And this is really hard for a lot of people because if they they know the right decision, you know, they know what they need to do next. And if the people around them don't approve, most people just cave. Yeah. Now, another attribute of resourcefulness is creativity. This means being willing and able to consider other options and have the spare resource capacity to do so. That last part is very important. But yeah, like we, we know people, I have very good friends who are creative in the box. Right. Like in the box of creativity, like, oh, very good painter, come up with really unique, neat ideas when it comes to painting. But don't think of creativity outside of painting or photography or something like that. And it's like they they struggle when it comes to things like troubleshooting. If it doesn't follow the um, the protocol for their troubleshooting, if it's outside of that, or if they do the things and it doesn't fix it, it's like, I will have no idea what's going on. It's like, all right, yeah, well, what happens when you press this button? Oh, hey, suddenly it works. Well, that wasn't part of the protocol. No, but now we know pressing this button fixes it. Yeah, why? Part of the new protocol. <laughs> like, why does that work? I don't know. We can figure it out, but we know, like, and it's like, I've, I've had these conversations with people before. It's like, well, I don't understand why that works. It doesn't make sense. I'm like, it doesn't have to make sense to know that it works. We can, we can figure out what works and then figure out, like, and then understand it. Yeah. And I also think, too, the, uh, the spare resource capacity thing is, is something a lot of people miss, miss out on, right? Like, if you're, you know, financially, if you want to be resilient, let's say that you're, I don't know, you have a construction job, right? And you get injured on the job. You can type, but you can't, you know, carry lumber anymore. Yeah. What do you do? Well, if you got enough money you know, saved up in the bank, maybe you, you know, you sign up and you go to a software school, right? And you, you learn to program because you have the spare resource capacity to 
go, okay, well, I'm just going to change the way I approach this so that I can survive. Mm-hmm. If you're living paycheck to paycheck, you can't do that. Yeah. So one of the big parts with resourcefulness is actually having resources that you can deploy or being able to find them. Right. So sometimes you just, you know, you don't necessarily have to have them. You just got to be scrappy. Yeah, that makes sense. The next one is response or responsiveness. And responsiveness is the ability to mobilize quickly in the face of a crisis. If it takes so long to react to a crisis that by the time you react, you can't recover, then redundancy and robustness don't help much. A great example of this is a deer in the headlights, right? Like when you deer hunt, like a deer could be 800 yards away and hear you and run. Like those animals just, they take off, but they'll stare at us, you know, they'll stare at a Mack truck coming straight at them and just look at the lights because they don't, they don't have the inbuilt ability to react to that. Apparently ones around here don't, I can tell you that. And, and you don't want to be stuck like that, right? Like that's not a resilient position. Now, a pillar of responsiveness is effective communication and trust of a system. If you can't articulate what's wrong, it's very difficult to fix it. In personal terms, this would mean that you are honest with others about a crisis as you enter it, rather than telling them about it too late to help. And you and I both have seen plenty of people that do this, right? Like, uh, we've had friends that have gotten divorces, for instance, and everything was just, everything looked completely fine and dandy on the surface. And then one day it's like, oh yeah, you know, they're splitting up and, and there's been problems for five years. Yeah. And, you know, yeah, you might not have been able to prevent it, but a lot of times the friend that finally is at that point, like they're losing everything Mm -hmm. and they didn't have anybody to talk to, you know, and I mean, you'll, you'll see this just, just in a lot of circumstances, you know, like I've, I've seen people who've had a spouse that's gotten really sick and they've gotten, you know, they've ended up getting fired from their job and their boss had no clue that they had a, a sick spouse or a sick kid at home. Yeah. Because they, they weren't honest and open about it. I will, I will tell you, I have been through a divorce and through a few breakups in my time. And I have learned that, uh, when the, the person who is initiating it isn't you and they say, you know, don't talk about it. Don't, don't tell anybody like, well, they don't get to say that anymore. (laughs) Yeah. Well, it's a lot of times it's like, they don't want to be embarrassed by it, but it's a little bit of a control thing. And I have just, I have learned, I'm like, no, there are, there are certain people in my life that, you know, I trust. And I'm like, I personally, there are some people who they don't want to go talk to someone about things. Me, I, um, what's the term? You process by talking. Yeah. External processor was what it was. And so I have a couple of people that I'll just go to and just be like, blah. I mean, some of those are my sisters, but. Will's another one that I just like, right. I can go and talk to. And I'm like, I know like if I talk to Will about something, uh, you know, I trust he's not going to go blab that around. Right. And you know, the, I, I guess getting back to this whole thing with the responsiveness is it, some of it is just admitting that there is a problem with a system, right? Like, you know, we, we see the emperor's new clothes type, situations all the time international business you see it in politics you see it in people's personal lives and you know the fundamental thing is not being able to say that hey yes there is a problem and here is what the problem actually is 
not here's what I want the problem to be because it suits how I'm feeling or my agenda at the moment, but like, no, here's, here's what's breaking the system. And if you look at a, a great example, Blockbuster, right? Blockbuster could have bought Netflix at one point. And if they had, you would still be talking about Blockbuster instead of me breaking out my Blockbuster card. We're talking about being old, <laughs> right? Yeah. They didn't do it and they didn't admit that the content delivery mechanism that they were using, plus all the other stuff that was going on, was making their business model not work. They're like, oh, piracy is the problem. Well, no, piracy is not the problem. Delivery is the problem. And, you know, them being out of movies that you want to see because it's a Friday night, you know, like Netflix is not out. Well, of course, back when when Netflix first started, it was more mail. It was more yeah. mail order type stuff. And, you know, you they might not have exactly what you want right then, but you got on the list and you would get it. Whereas with right. Blockbuster, it was hit or miss. If they didn't have it when you went and checked and they didn't have it when you went back and they didn't have it when you went back, there was no way to guarantee you would ever get it. Yeah. Unless you knew the guy behind the counter and could like, you know, argue Star Wars trivia with him it's like the, at least that's the way it was at every blockbuster i've ever been in <laughs> you know <laughs> there's always the weird smelling dude behind the counter that like you talk to that guy and if you're his friend he'll like hide one for you yeah <laughs> you know yeah yeah those were good times glad they're over but yeah the the ability to respond quickly means that stakeholders are all involved not just like half of them and they have a shared understanding of things like risk. Not only does this kind of help mitigate the risk somewhat, but it means that in a crisis, the people that need to be involved have an idea of what's going on. In personal terms, the opposite of this is having your spouse be blissfully unaware of things like fi family finances. Like I had a friend uh, a few years back who got downsized like two weeks before Christmas and he didn't tell his wife until like wow. February. Yeah. And it's, you know, like this happens and he goes out every day and he's like, you know, taking a laptop and going and looking for a job. But his, his, his wife didn't know. So she like gets a car and all. I mean, just, and it's like, dude, what, what are you thinking? <laughs> you don't want to, you don't want to do that. Right. Like, and that, that ruins your ability to respond and the people around you to respond. Finally, we have recovery. And recovery is the ability to return to some degree of, normality after a crisis. This includes the ability of a system to adapt to perceived changes in risk profile after a crisis. It also includes catching up on anything that got backlogged during that crisis. Primary attribute of this is what you would call horizon scanning. Uh, that is being continually on the lookout for upcoming threats and gaps in your knowledge, especially those that you discover when something bad happens. You know, in personal terms, this means learning from mistakes. So I, I got fired once for insubordination and, and I'm completely fine with it, right? The company that did this later got raided by the FBI. They were just skeezy people. But what I didn't do when this happened, was I did not start looking for another job as soon as I detected that these people were kind of scuzzy, right? And that was a mistake. It was an expensive mistake. And I, I got a I got a much better job, you know, right after that. It, I mean, it wasn't it wasn't the end of the world. It was, but it was about a month of not having 
much income and it dinged my savings and it just, it was just kind of a downer, you know, like I considered getting out of tech and you don't want to be in that situation, right? Like you want to go, okay, I learned from this last situation. As soon as I, you know, catch a whiff that something is untoward that's happening there, the resume goes out and it's ready. And that, that's kind of what this means. Like that's part of the recovery. Uh, the other part of the recovery is getting your finances back like they were before everything went down the toilet so that if it happens again, you're ready because two or three small crises in a row, you know, could burn you down otherwise. Yeah. I would also say having kind of a, you, you develop a little bit of a gut instinct with this, but being able to trust your gut with it, like you had a bad feeling about that and you didn't trust that until it was too late. And then you had to to leave and learning learning to trust that and there's a there's an interesting thing that I've I've been kind of picking up on recently in my life is getting like missing certain opportunities for others right so like you you go all right you know and, and this is part of like recovery here is like okay well I'm going to miss this opportunity so I can focus over here so now another thing with recovery is it also includes having a responsive feedback mechanism in place after a crisis. Now, this means that you quickly apply what you've learned from one crisis so that you aren't a sitting duck for the next one. In personal terms, this can often mean introspection into the reason you ended up in a bad situation previously so that you don't do it again. And I can tell you, uh, this is something that gets people in relationships a lot of times. Yeah. Especially. So guys, resilience is a big topic and we're not going to cover it all this year, but we're going to make a decent attempt at it. There are general principles to it, though, that you should keep in mind when you're trying to make yourself, your family, your company, or a system for which you're responsible more resilient when dealing with sudden changes. The characteristics of resilience take effort, thought, and introspection in order to implement, but the results are worth it. Um, especially when compared to the lack of resilience, uh, which is only worthwhile for whatever predator is picking you apart. Resilience makes it more likely that a person or system will be able to recover after a crisis, and it also tends to shorten the length of a crisis while reducing the damage that it does. And that pretty much wraps us up. Beach, what do you have this week for us for Tricks of the Trade? So guys, while resilience comes out in times of crisis, it's not developed during those times. Like Throughout this episode, we've talked about things that you do when you're not in crisis to prepare yourself to be resilient in crisis. Resiliency is developed during the good times, the easy times, by how you set yourself up and how you behave. It's very easy to say, well, if I only had this, or if I'd been given that when we're in tough times, but that doesn't do us any good during those times. Prepare for the tough times when times are good so that you'll have the resources you need or you'll have the skills you need when they come. Like I said, we talked about this in the episode. I really want to emphasize this because this is something that goes beyond just like resilience, but just preparing for things. For example, while you're in a dream job, don't get lazy. Instead, work on improving your skills as if you wanted to leave as soon as possible. Yeah. That's the best time to do it, too. Yeah, if you're in a dream job that, you know, lets you have time to read books on management and leadership and take courses and get certifications, now's the time to jump on that and do it so that 
if anything happens and that dream job becomes a nightmare, you're ready. Or the more likely instance, and what happened to me is I had a really good job and this opportunity came up for a leadership position, a lead developer position, which I already had a dream job and then another even better job came along that I was, because I had done that prep work, was able to go to. So just keep that in mind when, you, when you're when you going through good times. Don't slack off. Don't go, you know, it's one thing to go like, for example, school's out, small group semester is over. This week, I've kind of taken it easy because I needed a break. Let's be honest, y'all. I do too much. Taking a break for a little bit, that's fine. But then come back and go, all right, now I'm going to get serious here. So just use your time wisely. And uh, in that time, check out the Aftercast, where we're going to discuss various categories of resilience, both when applied to your teams and systems. That's pretty much all I got. Stand by for Titanfall. If you have a question or comment, please email us at neckbeards at completedeveloperpodcast.com. Our theme music is an excerpt from Stand By for Titanfall by Pure Bells, available on SoundCloud and licensed through Creative Commons. For references, show notes, and extra tips and insights, be sure to check out the website at completedeveloperpodcast.com. Help us make the show possible by supporting us on Patreon at patreon.com slash completedeveloperpodcast. You'll get extras, including a weekly aftercast where we discuss the topic of the week and bonus material with some of our patrons. You can also follow us on Twitter at CompleteDevPod, like our page on Facebook, and follow us on Instagram to keep up with news about the show. Join the conversation anytime via Slack by signing up at slack.completedevelopernetwork.com. Thanks for listening. See you next time.